0: yes i remember everything i know who i am i am the doctor i am the doctor
1: You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's worth its weight in silver.
2: Absolutely. If it was gold, then the Cybermen would be wiped out in seconds. We'd have absolutely nothing to talk about this week. So we're carrying on our trip through those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by your mate and mine, Paul McGann. I'm Kenny
1: Smith. And I'm Rebecca Chapman. You join us as we resume our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's Exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, broadcast audio, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else we can lay our eyes, ears, and hands upon. And this week, we've got very human hands, just like the Cybermen who feature in The Silver Turk. We're chatting about Mark Platt's 2011 classic, which we did discuss briefly last year when we were joined by our friend Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine, when we discussed the Radio Times poll's top five eighth Doctor Who stories from the Big Finish monthly range.
2: Indeed, we certainly did. And we always enjoy speaking with our friend, Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine, because that is his full name. And Mm -hmm. anyway, having re-listened to the Silver Turk ahead of this week's episode, I just think it gets better and better with repeat listening.
3: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the Silver Turk.
2: The Vienna Exposition.
1: We're in Vienna, but it's impossible so quickly. Have I been abducted?
0: Not exactly. <laughs> freak! <This laughs> leave me alone! <laughs> this way to the Grand Theatre of Marion Mittenberg. Roll up, roll up! The cab ride, sir? Freudine? Not today, thank you. Can't be too careful these days. Better not to walk, not after dark. Get, get it away!
2: <laughs> 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 Attacks? I wouldn't want to alarm the line Alarm her? This is Mary Shelley you're talking to.
0: Author of the darkest, spookiest stories you could ever read. Am I? They scared the pants off me. Well, uh, I didn't believe the stories, for a line not till two nights back.
2: That was when I saw it. Halfway down Wolfstrasse by the river. It was a black carriage. Slowly
0: it went, and its horses were strange, walking all wrong. Clock, clip, clock. No the driver. There was no driver. And as they passed me, the lamplight caught their eyes. And they were blue. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Two more black checkers taken.
1: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the Silver Turk wins the match. It's a trick. The Silver Turk? My, My husband invested in it.
0: There was an automaton once called the Turk. It toured the courts of Europe playing chess. But that was years ago, surely it's not the same one. Does anyone believe what we're seeing? Is it an illusion or more than that? Quiet, I said. Will you part dead? Let's see what's under the mask. No!
2: (gasps) You vandal! What
3: is it?
0: I knew it. This is no fairground, automaton. It's alive.
3: Subscribers
2: get more at bigfinish.com We're continuing our journey this season looking at the Doctor's adventures with Mary Shelley, which began in Mary's story, which is part of the Company of Friends release and was fleshed out into a tremendous trilogy of timeless, tantalising, terrifying, triumphant, top-notch tales.
1: Calm down, Henry Gordon Jago. What's (laughs) not to love? (laughs) Wooden copies of the Doctor and Mary, original Sidemen with creepy voices from Nick Briggs, a wonderful setting in Austria, and a brilliant cast.
2: Plus, fantastic musical score great sound design and a brilliant cover from alex mallinson too isn't this just i think the word that we would use in scotland is a belter
1: oh i like that word belter is good it is a belter
2: i think the fact that you've got mary's obviously on her journey and as you regaled me with a fascinating fact about her last time about her mother's grave didn't know that I think she very quickly has established a great relationship with this doctor and the fact that he's almost trying to show off and impress her because obviously she's a famous figure and he's desperately trying to show her the world and just just make her think, oh, this guy's really cool.
1: No, definitely. I mean, apologies for the uh, <laughs> Mary Shelley fact there, but uh, mm-hmm. yes, we have to love
2: we do and again we've got a pair of original type cybermen and how creepy are those voices just with that singing song effect
1: oh i know it's awful it's awful i say awful i mean awfully terrifying
2: yes i think this the whole nature of those original cybermen the fact they've got the human hands and the fact that they're sort of like they can like unshoulder or unsocket their limbs and where they've got no legs so they can just click an arm into place and run over the houses. It's very, very visual, isn't it? Mm,
1: it is. It its Just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, speaking of... Hang on. Going back to Mary Shelley facts, I have just found my favourite one. Oh? Mary Shelley kept Percy Shelley, her husband, his heart after he died in a boating accident at the age of 29. According to accounts, Percy Shelley was cremated following the accident, but for some reason his heart would not burn. So she kept it. That's creepy. And she kept it in a silk satchel and carried it round with her. And after she passed away, the heart was discovered in Mary's desk drawer, wrapped in one of her husband's poems.
2: That is one messed up girl. (laughs) Isn't it? Is that what travelling with the doctor does to you? It messes you up that much? Mm. Or maybe perhaps in real life she really was just messed up with... I mean,
1: she was a a gothic queen, really.
2: Absolutely. Very, very influential and obviously the first female science fiction writer of note as well, really. I've never read any of her other works, though. Have you?
1: She's written loads as well. Well, I say loads, but it's quite a few.
2: Just not aware of them. I really should go and look them up. That's what this podcast is about, informing and entertaining and educating. So I need to do that third part and educate myself a little bit more.
1: Indeed, you do. Indeed, you do. Mm. Well, again, I was working when you did this chat a couple of weeks ago because I am a teacher in training people. Woo-hoo. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's hear from the writer Mark Platt.
3: <laughs> Hello, um, I'm Mark Platt and I wrote The Silver Turk. Welcome we'll back. <laughs>
2: It's always a pleasure to have you on, Mark, and um, especially to chat about the Silver Turk, which quite rightly was last year named in the Radio Times' top five all-time greatest Eighth Doctor stories.
3: Really? Oh, that's amazing. How wonderful. I I had no idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. That's an absolute joy to let you know. So, it's, I mean, it's such a Such a great idea for a story and sort of hinted at in the company of friends when it talks about the Doctor and Mary having met the Cybermen. So what was your reaction when you were asked to do this, given that your previous Cybermen story had gone down just a little
3: bit well? Quite well, quite well, didn't it? It was amazing, really. Um, yeah, I was, I was quite pleased to do another one, and I thought, I've, I've got, we've got to do something different. And fortunately, it was Alan Barnes who asked me to do this, and um, he he he'd asked for he'd asked for something about the Turk, which was this automaton that that was around in eighteenth nineteenth century nineteenth century, and um, that it, pl- it played. Chess, I think, and um, was it travelled round to shows and, and the crowned heads of Europe and things. And um, I think it was eventually found out that there was somebody hiding under the table who was working it. <laughs> um, so obviously not in this case, but that, that and, and um, Alan said, "Yes, could could we do that?" And, and he wanted something set in nineteenth century Vienna, and. Obviously, with uh, obviously featuring, featuring Mary Shelley as well, as we said, with the company of friends. So this was her first proper adventure away with 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 the Eighth Doctor, and so great. I mean, this, this was fine because I, I knew a little bit about sort of eighteenth, nineteenth century Vienna anyway. Um, more to do with, with the dreadful um, the, the, the business at Myling, where. Uh, the heir, to the heir to the throne, the Crown Prince Rudolf committed suicide with his mistress, Mary Vetsera. And um, I toyed with that for an idea, but that was a bit grim. So then we I, I fished around and found that there was um, the Viennese equivalent of the Great ex, 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 Exhibition, I can't even say it properly, in 73, 1873, something like that and uh, this seemed like absolutely perfect um perfect location for a story because it was all about technology and masses of exhibits including um a biscuit emporium from Huntley and Palmer's who came over from England so um and various pavilions japanese pavilion and all from all over the world really so This seemed like the ideal location to do a story. And um, so we we set it up with with the Turk, um, this new Silver Turk version, which was actually a Cyberman in disguise. And I had to sort of work out how they got there and everything. And Great fun. And I suppose the thing I wanted to do, because I I was trying to do something different from spare parts, was, was the fact that, you know the cybermen are so driven by this need to survive all the time and they are just incredible incredibly resourceful so you have the these two damaged cybermen damaged in a you know when their spaceship crashes and so they, they you know they're, they're missing they're missing limbs and things so they they remove limbs like a spare tire in a car <laughs> they remove limbs from some of the other cybermen who are also there and who who beyond repair and sort of make up a new one so there is this weird cyberman wobbling about more like a spider with th- on, on three hands rather than two legs and two, <laughs> two arms so um yes great fun very macabre yeah and um i wanted wanted to do something about puppet shows as well because that's something you use you know, that, that, that's quite there's quite a lot of that in in, in, in Austria and and in Prague as well. I, I, I've seen a, a puppet theater in Prague where they did um Mozart's Don Giovanni as a puppet show. Rather wonderful and rather strange. <laughs> and so I, I thought yes I want, I want to use that because it's, it's very sort of quirky in particularly in Prague but also in in, in Vienna as well so this all sort of fed into it and um off we went
2: i'd imagine that as i know you you do your research when you're this, doing this sort of thing so how much did you know about mary shelley and her backgrounds i think we all know the basics but did you do reading some of her diaries and things like that just to get in her head i, did, and- I, I
3: read yeah I, re- I read some of her other short stories which were really really interesting i mean you know she she was a terrific writer and fascinating stories a bit strange sometimes they're, they're all sort of wound up slightly too neatly for me but um yes i, I had i had to sort of look her up and i would wanted to make her as a um, as a contrast obviously she's a big contrast to to um sheridan smith's companion who was their lucy Lucy being very down-to-earth and all, 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 verging on the vulgar, really, but adorable. And um, so M- Mary, I mean, is extremely intelligent, um, but very down-to-earth and very practical and no-nonsense, and she just balances this sort of boundless, boundless impulsive thing that the, the, the Eighth Doctor has, he's, he's, he's this sort of romantic character and he's such fun to write. And um, so the two of them balance off really well, but I, I wanted her to um, challenge him quite a bit because obviously he has he, the Doctor has this thing about Cybermen, mainly through Adric and things, and also in spare parts, because he finds that he's one of the sort of templates for the Cybermen himself. So he doesn't take too well to them, really. I, I wanted her to to be sort of far more sympathetic to them without realizing what they really were. Um, one, one of the themes I thought was that you know Frankenstein is about man creating life. and we've already had that in company of friends where where they, they bring the doctor back to life with, with electricity, with lightning, with galvanic lightning. And I wanted to to look at that about about sort of creation and how that that feeds into the Frankenstein story about create you know creating life then, of course, there's all the sort of thing of Mary being under threat and and the doctor doctor realises that she's got a future and and if he doesn't do, you know, he's not careful, she's going to lose the future and that's going to tangle everything else up. So, um, yeah, lots to play with there. Great fun.
2: Yeah, I suppose that's a great thing that a lot of work and the fact that she is a historical character, a lot of her background's there and it's done for you. You don't need to come up with motivations as they're quite clearly established by her own writings.
3: Yes, yes. Yep. I, I, love, I love doing research on these things I think I drive them all up the wall at big finish because I sort of disappear for, for weeks on end. And I'm sort of immersed in things. And I always you, you have to get I have to get the world right, the, the location right before I can before I can actually do the story. So, I mean, in, in some cases, you know, you, you're producing another planet and that you have to work it up from sort of nuts and bolts all the way through. But um, in this case, it's feeding in all the all, all sort of historical detail and everything. And I love doing that. I mean, what, one of the other things I put in was the, the, the cabbie, Bratfish. Um, Br- Bratfish was the coachman of, of Crown Prince Rudolph, who, who, I, who I mentioned, who committed suicide. So that that's actually a little bit you know, t- time is a little bit different different. so I, I thought, well, we'll make um, make this bratfish the, the, the father or something of the, the other one, which I don't actually mention, but it, it's, it's all there. I know it's there, so I feel more comfortable with it. That's fantastic
2: because they're actually doing a production of a scandal at Meerling, a Scottish ballet are reimagining it yes. um, and that's uh, being yes. performed in the
3: 23rd of April. That's where, how I know it because the, the, the Scottish version that you're having up there is, is actually a, a slightly reduced version of the, the ballet that, that's actually, that was on. Has been. It was premiered in 1978, I think, at the, at the yep. Royal Opera House yep. um, by by it's, it, the choreography is by Kenneth MacMillan, who's a hero of mine, mm-hmm. and I was there at the first night in '78. It was gobsmacking. It, it's an absolutely amazing ballet. It, it's it's terrifying and frightening, but it's also full of lots lots of historical detail and some amazing characters and things in it. And um, that, so that's how I knew about it. And Bratfish is in is in the ballet as well. So um, and and the the Emperor and Empress are there and, and various other deeply suspicious people it was, it was a very very difficult time that court it um, but both the empress and and the emperor Franz Joseph both had had their own lovers who who were sort of part of the court as well and there is a scene in 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 ballet miling where the empress presents presents uh, Franz Joseph her husband with a portrait of his mistress which doesn't go down well with with all the sort of so elderly members of the court, but absolutely not. Amazing, amazing intrigues and things going on, and the empress was tied up with, with the Hungari- with, with Hungarians who were always battering her for power and things, and they were also battering Prince Rudolf. So it's it's all very complicated.
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it even more. So I'll let you know how it is. You're
3: going to see it? Are you going to see it?
2: Yes, definitely. It's uh... yes. The theatre Royal in Glasgow, and yes, yeah. I look forward to it immensely.
3: It's, it's it's a marvelous thing. It's 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 a terrific piece. Of, it's a terrific piece of theatre.
2: And uh, just when you mentioned that's
3: lecture over. No, not at all.
2: No, we're doing part of the the BBC remit to inform, to educate, and entertain. So we're
3: getting all three here, Mark. Oh, that's true. That's true. Everybody <laughs> go and see Myling. It's it's wonderful stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> now you mentioned bratfish. <laughs> The story has
2: got some fantastic characters. I don't know, Doctor Drossel, fabulous, and poor old Alfred Stalbum and, um, and Countess Mitzi, and Count Rolf, and they're just the characters are so vivid. And particularly David Schneider is as Bradfish, just
3: fantastic, think, isn't, isn't he it? In that? He's terrific. When, when he came to the theatre, I hadn't realised he just it turned out he just lived when I was living in Highbury, in North London, he was living just around the corner from me. <laughs> so that movie is very bizarre. Didn't realise that, but yes, he's terrific. And um, some some of the other characters in this this comes from the puppets thing again. Another I'm really interested in in E.T.A. Hoffmann, who was uh, who was a German writer in nineteenth century who did lots of sort of fantastical stories, sort of early science fiction, but they were really very macabre sort of things. Stories like oh, um, there is a, there is an opera based based on him, Tales of Hoffman, in which there is there is one one act where where Hoffman falls in love with a doll, who who um, he th- he thinks it's real, and it turns out that she's a doll. He, he he's completely fooled by it, um, and also that the um, the Nutcracker is based on an Eta Hoffman. Story as well, so that this is where I got some of some of this from. Um, also, the, 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 ooh, we're doing lots of ballet today. Ballet Coppelia, um is is based on another of the characters, Doctor Capelius who turns up in in the opera as well. Who collects eyes, he puts in dolls, and so. That's rather where that came from. It's very creepy. But then I, I put in the thing with the, the puppet horses as well, with with the um, with blue eyes, which are wrong for them. So I just want to make it as creepy as possible, really.
2: It absolutely is. And I think that and um, the sound design from Jimmy Robertson, it really does sell it. It's all just those wooden click clacking sounds and yes, the yes. actress performances as well, playing it flat. And, oh, it's it's creepy.
3: Yes, it is. It's very creepy. <laughs> oh, and also, I you mean, know, at the end, you get you get um, Mary, Mary and the Doctor as puppets as well. And you know, right at right at the end, there is you find that two of the characters are still still um, touring round Germany, Austria with, with a puppet Doctor who plays the trumpet. <laughs> I think I was—I don't know what I was doing on this. I was on some sort of role, wasn't I? With it, it's weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Larger-than-life characters yeah. who, who keep you gripped to the end, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, before we started recording, you mentioned that you had listened to it again yesterday. So what were your biggest surprises when you came back to it for the first time in, gosh, 11 years?
3: The amount of detail in it, I think. I, you know, I was quite surprised by, by how, how much detail there was. And uh, I've got some notes here. Well, it's just—it was the amount of research I think that I'd gone into and hadn't realised that I, I sort of, you know, some of it had disappeared from my brain. It was just—it was just very involving. You get—you get, you get totally caught up in these things. I mean, I, I sleep really badly when I'm writing. I dream these things. I dream the stories and things, and, and wake up at sort of four in the morning and go, "Oh God, I've got to go and write that down." And so. I was just very happy with it. I mean, I, I, I liked, I liked, I, I, I'd forgotten how good, brilliant Nick was at doing the, the Cyberman voices as well, particularly the differentiation between Brem and Graham, no, yes, Brem and Graham. And um, some of the voices, I mean, it's quite painful to listen to because, you know, you you hear that they are in pain and they can barely talk like that. And that, that, found that quite chilling actually it's just lovely how, how something i write will then set it set the actors off as well and they're obviously all having such fun i mean paul, paul and, and julie cox as well he's terrific as mary absolutely marvelous as mary and stands up to the doctor really well she's not sort of um, you know she, she, they, they are equals i love that and it actually, she sort of brings yeah. a degree of sense to him sometimes when he's babbling. Yeah, and it's such a great guest
2: cast too. I mean, Gareth Armstrong is as wonderful as you. Are. Oh yes,
3: he is as well. Yes, indeed, because he was also in um, the Doctor's Tale, wasn't he? The 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 Chaucer tross, story that yes. I did, and he, he's he's lovely, Re- really nice man, and very enthused with it all. So, yeah,
2: and of course. Got to mention Barnaby's work in bringing together the cast and just bringing it to life as well.
3: Yes, he has a real sense of, of timing. Actually, it was quite interesting because I, something I hadn't done when I was listening to it. I, I actually followed it yesterday through with the script, and it was quite intriguing. You know, there were some sub, several substantial cuts in it, and I thought, yes, actually that works. And I'd see that the and, and Alan had, had had worked really hard on it to get it to run smoothly and some, sometimes you know you, you get carried away and put in too much detail and it just needs honing down a bit and they've done a wonderful job on it so I just realized that some of what I've written wasn't necessary at all and it worked better without it so my propensity to waffle. <laughs> not at
2: all not at all and of course the music as well from Jamie and, and the sound design it just it's just a, a
3: wonderful complete package. Beautiful stuff. There's some really beautiful stuff in there. I thought I detected a bit of a bit of Mussorgsky in there as well. I, just a little sort of little hint of, of Baba Yaga from Portraits of the ne- Portrait. Of, oh, no, it's a pictures it of an exhibition. Um, it's just a sort of sort of do, 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 do thing that goes on there. And I could be wrong. I could be entirely wrong. But it's it's it just sounded right. So yeah, I was very lucky. Had a really good, you know, had a really good team on that one. So I always do. Everybody's lovely. It's, it's just <laughs>
2: there's something about you and Cybermen that just seems to click.
3: Because when I did spare parts, I was prepared to say no, I don't really want to do this because I thought we'd sort of run out of st- the TV had run out of steam or what to do with them. But once I get, you know, once you go into them, you realise that they are so deep. The idea and, and what what they have done to themselves to to survive is so horrendous. You know the fact that they they cut out their emotions and their gender as well. I mean they are just so they're all identical. It's it's horrible really. So yes, and this uh, th- this other thing where, which I think I put first put in in um, spare parts. But they um, they uh, all <laughs> the doctor says they always they always smell of antiseptic. Which means that they're in, they're probably in pain all the time. It's just, uh, horrible.
2: <laughs> yeah. I particularly like that touch about the antiseptic because it gives you that just sort of that. Obviously, we can hear them, but it's something a smell that we all know and recognise, and it it just brings that. Smell, of course, you
3: don't get because you know it's it's not it's you don't get smell over <laughs> over audio, and that that is so evocative smell is, is always evocative of things and you know everywhere ha- has a smell but the one that everybody always quotes at me was one of the beginning of Lung Barrow when I put in times roses are scented with memory because you know because scent brings up memories to you all the time and that's always been quite important to me so
2: yeah no, fantastic and of course what a great cover you got as well
3: yes where is it it is here. Did oh, it, oh
2: sorry. got one handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alex Mallinson like doing a great job with it. With a, yes, a, wee, a wee screen grab from the TV. Alex is Ta-da! And inside as well. Yes, another gorgeous illustration, particularly yes. with the hand playing the piano. Yes,
3: yes. Creepy and weird. And they yes, they're the right because they because the early ones did have human hands. They still so. I mean, on the on TV, they had have the, had have the human hands as well, so oh love it. Proper monsters,
2: Mark. Proper oh, monsters. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you again for your Not time. Too much.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, well, I'm sure we'll be speaking again very soon. And let's do some Lucy Miller next time. Thank you very much indeed. It's been lovely. Thank you. I love Mark. Always a gent. Do you know, we'd been in touch for more than 20 years by email, but we'd never actually spoken in person until last year.
1: Oh, when we spoke about Relative Dimensions last Christmas, he was so much fun and a complete gent. He even brought his own reindeer bells along too, (laughs) which kind of sounds like a euphemism now I'm saying it out loud.
2: It definitely wasn't. (laughs) He had brought reindeer bells. Go back and listen to the episode. You can hear it right at the end. That's Mark (laughs) shaking his own reindeer bell thing. Which was great, but no, I think he's a brilliant, clever, funny, talented man. And
1: oh, talking of which,
2: yeah, you're too kind, (laughs) Becca.
1: No, I didn't mean you. I did. I meant our other guest who also joined us at Christmas. Oh, Oh, do make sad noises. Anyway, let's chat with musician and sound designer Jamie Robertson. And yes, you're not that bad as a human being. Ooh.
0: Hi, I'm Jamie Robertson and I'm the music composer and sound designer for The Silver Turk.
2: Welcome back, Jamie. It's been a wee oh, while yeah, since we spoke. This time we're chatting about The Silver Turk and a wee trip to Austria for the Doctor and Mary Shelley. So when you get a script like this through, what's the first thoughts that go through your head?
0: Cybermen are always... they like the Daleks, obviously. Uh, you know, you've got to get it right, haven't you? With the Cybermen. Or, or, it, it, you don't want to. You don't want to be hung up on a post. And um, so I think I can't remember if this was my first Cyberman story or not. I can't remember. I think it might have been my first Cyberman story. You may. Someone may correct me out there. But yeah. And also we had Mary Shelley in that, didn't we? It was the, when the Doctor meets Mary Shelley. Yeah. Uh, excitable. And it's a Mark Platt script as well. Mark Platt's bonkers. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know when you uh, have a Mark Plant script, it's going to be out of this world, and lots of weird sound design to do. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, the, the exciting thing back then was Eighth Doctor, and um, you know our leading man. And yeah, I mean it was so long ago now; it must be a good 10, 11 years, isn't it? Yeah, you know, something like that. Yeah. Scarily, yes. Yeah, yeah, and that was in that was in the long before we had the fourth Doctor, I think, on board. And so, you yeah, know, Paul was our main sort of big, big Doctor we had. And it's just excitable to be part of that sort of thing with Big Finish back then.
2: So can you give us a wee reminder on your process
0: for sound designing? Yeah, sure, yeah, The first thing, obviously, get a script. To be honest, I tend to get the script. And once i've downloaded or ingested all the cds back then i think a lot of it was cds they used to send through from the studio in london the artists would have recorded in their booths i mean they might have been moat studios actually with toby and he would have sent through on cd all of the separate takes and their the artists on their files dr mary whatever whoever would pop them in and then start Vox edit processing the dialogue edit and that's when I'll first hear how the story's gonna run out. And when I'm doing that, you know, place making up each of the scenes dialogue wise only, that's when you start to get a tend to get an idea of how the sound design's gonna be. Because you're able to read the script and hear the story coming together. Uh, and then I'll make some notes if there's any particular stuff that I need. I think I needed some walking stuff on that one, if I remember rightly. It creates some sort of spine-tingling walking. Um, it's so long ago but yeah, it's, it's, that's the process. So dialogue first, at the same time making a mental note or a note of any sound design that you need to get. Or any established sound design as well. Stuff that might have come from other sound designers or from the original show. And that's it, yeah. So once the sound design process begins, we then hear... We're sort of colouring the scenes, aren't we? Colouring the scenes of everything. And it's really come into life. Once that's done, it's then to the music side. But the thing is, when I do the sound design, I always like to make a mental note where I'm going to put some stabs and stings in. I used to get that, actually. Uh, uh, I used to get a note from Nick a few years back. He'd say, oh, you've left a gap there, but he knew what I was doing. I was probably gonna put leave a gap there to put what I call like a low bomb in, like where the timpani's and the piano's would come in and start to build. You know, there's a problem coming sort of thing, you know. Uh, uh, and yeah, that's it. Then it's obviously once the sound signs all signed off, any, uh, any tweaks, then it's completely on the music. Once that's done, the whole thing's done. Yeah, <laughs> that's normally about. I mean, it depends on the on the length of the project. It's normally about three weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, it can depend on the project. So, um, for for stuff that the like, four-part stuff, it could be uh, three. Uh, actually, was the Silver Turk 25-minute episodes? Yes, it was. Yeah, or thereabouts. So it's not like now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, maybe it was about three weeks, three to three to and a half weeks uh, from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. So that's how that's the process, really.
2: Because I'd imagine that when you've got the likes of a nineteenth-century cityscape, then automatically things that you'll go to will be things like cobbles and horses uh, clip-clopping yeah. on, just for that sort of, just to do that little bit of world building.
0: That's right. Yeah, you've got to get that right. And was it Austria? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think I did look on a lot of the, the sound. Uh, we have like a library. We have the BBC library. We have libraries of different pre-recorded stuff and i did think i tried to locate anything like austria vienna sort of that sort of um background you know but obviously be trying to be rather um back then rather than more contemporary because you don't want to have modern cars within the (laughs) the sound design so yeah i do that on all of the projects actually we do type tend to try and put in specific get as close as possible to like for instance, a steam train. If we use a steam train rather than just using a generic steam train, you, you put in try and put in one that was from the era that the story yeah. set. Or if you don't do that, I think it can become a little bit lazy because you do get a lot of fanatics out there that would love to hear. I don't know actual steam train locomotive, you know, terms or anything, but you know they might want to hear an actual that type of engine from that type of era. So it's nice if you could put that in. Yeah. I'd
2: imagine that with this one, getting all those wooden sounds for the puppets must have been good fun to do.
0: That's what it was now, I remember. Yeah, you just reminded me. I remember what I'd done now with that, and that was using uh, over there uh, drumsticks. I think I got a load of drumsticks tied together and I was outside walking them along uh, to create that cloppy sort of thing as well on the the, uh, concrete outside. Uh, yeah, I remember that. now. I remember that very well. <laughs> I was living in Lowestoft at that time, yeah, uh, and uh, so I was kind of fighting the sound design of between that and the birds and the seagulls. Yeah, <laughs> 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 and then action. So um, yeah, that you've really brought back the memories here.
2: And I would imagine that even though it was a few years ago, probably having the Cybermen scrabbling around on rooftops and climbing up buildings. That would probably be the toughest part of it to do, to get those sounds.
0: Yeah, well, you kind of, yeah. I mean, if it's whatever the footsteps or cyber, cyber steps or the, uh, the puppy sort of steps, I kind of, I'll do them and then I'll sort of layer in sort of asphalt, snow, grass, whatever it is, you sort of layer it with it to create that illusion. It's that's the whole thing with a sound design or audio drama. You got to create that illusion. I learned that very early days. I learned a lot from Nick in the early days. Yeah, yep. You know, it, 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 It's not always how it would be in real life in order to create a real like, illusion. You know what I mean? Doors or something particularly, uh, you may open a door, but it might not be the sound, same sound file or same recording as the closed of that door. Does that make sense? So, yeah, because <laughs> you want a different, different sort of sound. There's loads of stuff where we have to trick that mind. We have to really play the illusion on the mind to hit, make make it real. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: And of course, there's them um, with the musical score with this one. There's some singing in there as well with the sort of the rhyme, the, the children's rhyme. That must have been hard yeah. to work with, I would imagine, just to get it to match the best. What
0: was that? I Really can't remember. Was this back when I was? Was this 2010 time? Wasn't it? Something yeah. Because like it was a,
2: it was like it was like Silent Night, but with different words.
0: Oh, is it? Yeah, we had... A, we had yeah, that's Something right. is
2: cooking tonight.
0: That's right. I remember that. Oh, they did that under the studio, I think. Uh, uh, and that was sort of... Yeah, it was sort of like... It was a Silent Night theme, wasn't it? About the <clears> melody, <throat> but with different... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like cool stuff. A lot of people don't realise I'm actually into... When I do the sound design, I sit here and have like the classical music channel on the radio on. and and it's just nice to have something in the background and that's how I learnt a lot of classical stuff over the years uh yeah I mean people always said are I classically trained I mean I did music at school but I didn't do full-on like grade-a piano or anything but with the music I always like to yeah I think the classical side comes into the scores a lot but like when you're saying with children and that yeah that was uh yeah it was in Austrian,
2: wasn't it? Uh, it was in English, yeah. Something oh, is, is cooking it? tonight. Something like that, yeah. I see, yeah, yeah. I can't
0: remember, I think they did that in the studio.
2: Ooh. I
0: think they did that in the studio, some of that. And then I just like added extra bits in.
2: So let's talk about the theme, Jamie. That was, of course, a new version of the McGann theme was introduced here based on yeah, the TV movie, the but con- with extra guitars.
0: That's it, the controversial theme tune, I think. Uh, um... Doctor Who magazine, said. <laughs> so um, yeah. All it was is a, I think that was a was that the first time I ever done a theme tune. I just had an idea, you know. I said to um, Nick, you know, what if we was to give a, a, a little? A, well, I was actually playing around with it. I said I did this, and Nick was like, oh, I love that, you know. And Barnaby loved it, and David loved it. But uh, I think it went through a couple of key changes. Nick wanted to try and give it a bit more close to what the David Arnold version was. Um, Originally, when I did that version, with D8 at the start, it was in the correct key. Uh, But I think Nick wanted to bring it down a few semitones to more of what David Arnold had. Because obviously, the the, uh, David Arnold version is very gothic, isn't it? Not coffee. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot, lot more darker, isn't it? Murky
2: and industrial.
0: Yeah. And so we brought it down to that. And um, See, I, I just think, if I do a theme, I've done a couple of themes. Uh, and I think, you know, with, was it John Debney, Wasn't it who did the mm-hmm. TV movie? That is the Eighth Doctor's theme, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know, and so it makes sense to have that one that way around. Uh, you know, to start with that middle, is it the middle eight first mm-hmm. Sort of thing, you uh, and that's why I did it that way. And any time I've done, I think I've done one more to the Ave Doctor. We did do one for Stranded actually, which I pulled up. And uh, yeah, it didn't, It didn't. we didn't go. I think the reason why I didn't go through is because they couldn't get clearance in time. Because that's the th- one thing is, I think John Devney owns that sort of arrangement. Does that make sense? Because it's in, even though it's Delia and, and that, uh, it, it's, it's that, sort of arrangement is, a, is John's is sort of thing, so. but with the Silver Turk, yeah, it was kind of like I wanted to do it how I would probably do it. With an orchestra sort of thing. See a lot of people I've I've heard a lot of orchestral like people's own mock-ups online, everyone does them, don't they? And a lot of people do the You know, Murray go, that's Murray's. So that doesn't belong in the Eighth Doctor's thing, because that's yep. Murray's. Yeah, <laughs> I would never do that. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, you know the bit I'm all about is like yes. the strings. Yeah, I don't I don't like I don't like to do that sort of thing because I don't think that belongs in that yeah. sort of thing because that's more for the well, nine for ten for eleventh Doctors, wouldn't it? So, well, not not the eleventh, ninth, tenth. Yeah, uh, and also the guitars are in there as well. And there was a bit of eighties, wasn't there? Not eighties, nineties sort of tone, sort yeah. of tonology in there as well. It's just, it's just trying to put it as close as possible to that era yeah. uh, of the of the Eighth Doctor.
2: Yeah. And finally, how do you look back on it now?
0: What that theme?
2: Uh, the uh, whole, the whole thing. The theme the, of the lot. Thing,
0: yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since the, I've listened to it. Actually, sometimes if I'm looking through for certain stuff, I might come across the theme tune in the. Um, in The folder of stuff, and, uh, and I always think, I oh, you know I would change that, I would do that different or mix that different. You know, mixing, uh, you know, the way we mix stuff now is a lot different to back then. Uh, you can always improve on stuff, I think, especially when you look at stuff. I mean, I bet there's writers out there, they've uh, listen to this. If they, they wrote a book or wrote a short story 10 years ago, then they look at it again. I bet I wish I'd done it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can always always have that that's the human thing is not it absolutely you you always want to improve something uh with the sound design as well i think back then i still did the sound design almost how i do it now so i don't think anything would have changed on now it would Mm -hmm. just be more it would just be more there's newer technology out newer newer plugins newer sound design techniques you know which would have improved the story
2: well, fantastic. Well, we're using the theme tune as part of this season, Jamie, so we like it, Beck okay. and I, so there yeah. we go. Yeah, because as...
0: that was used for the entire Mary Shelley, wasn't it? Yep, and that was uh, it. So whether they bring back that sort of... But then I don't think they can go back, can they? So he can't... You know, the eighth... I'm not sure. I can't remember what
2: happened now. Oh, she's she's still with him at the end. There's still potential, so who knows? Fingers oh, crossed okay. one day.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so, I'm not sure if that was Howard or... I wouldn't be been Benji who did the sound design on them, yeah. the last bit. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but yeah. No, that was a good era though. You know, it was good. Um, maybe, maybe one day we'll go back. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was fun. Anyway, especially working with Barnaby. We've got to mention yeah. Barnaby.
2: Yes. So, yeah, I've
0: only worked with Barnaby a few odd times. <laughs> and, um, yeah, in fact, I think I was working with him then when I, um, we, we met up at a convention, so, which was quite handy because we could talk to each other about yep. the thing away from everyone see it, and how what rather than being online or email, which is yep. a lot of it, and, uh, and so that was quite handy, handy. Yeah, Barnaby, bless him, love Barnaby, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you, anyway.
2: Thank you, Jamie. You're an absolute gent. Thanks as ever, and we'll speak to you soon.
0: That's all right, thank you, everyone, for listening, and um, yeah, take care.
1: So a huge thanks to Jamie and Mark for their time once again, even though I wasn't there. Short-term loss for
2: a long-term gain. Good morning, Miss Chapman. And oh so God, on.
1: I hate you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, you're sacked. <laughs> I'm going to hire Ma- Michael from Doctor who Magazine.
1: Ah, <laughs> Do <you? laughs> uh, sad.
2: <laughs> no, no, I won't really. But no, I really enjoyed I... this. It's, it's just amazing that we get to hear the passion of the people who are involved in the audios. And indeed the books and all the other areas that covered in these podcasts. But it's just amazing the people, the, the passion that people have for their work. People always going the extra mile just because it's Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, of course. You know, Doctor Who fans are always amazing. But yeah, no, it's so nice to hear and witness.
2: Yeah. And we're very lucky because people are more than happy to talk to us and they keep coming back to talk to us. So again, oh, thank you to speaking... all the guests. Oh,
1: yes. Sorry, speaking of Doctor Who and of Doctor Who fans and Mm -hmm. yada yada, I know this isn't connected technically because Paul McGann isn't David Tennant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there is a website that we use at the school that I'm in that's called Karate Cats. Interesting. And essentially, uh, they've got like little games on there, and there's like maths ones, and there's English ones, and it goes through the curriculum for their year groups. And, um, If you complete the level, you get coins, then you can spend it on, like, buying a cat for your dojo or buying accessories for your cat in your dojo. And the blooming, like, sensei is voiced by David Tennant. No way. (laughs) I was in class earlier today and suddenly all I heard was David Tennant. What? What? One more and you had a Russell
2: T. Davis cliffhanger there.
1: Yes, exactly. It was a What? What? What?
2: that is fantastic but i suppose technically we are going to kind of cover david tennant in next week's episode sort of that
1: is true that is true maybe i should save that story for next week
2: no 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 it's good it's good now <laughs> what have we got next time
1: next week we've got the two-part episode covering the eighth doctor's involvement in time lord victorious including alfie shaw's first audio interview about echoes of extinction and i am really excited
2: I think it should be because, oh, it's it's great. I really enjoyed um, Time World Victorious. It's fascinating. In fact, we've got so much stuff, we've had to split it into two episodes so we don't uh, run it too long. And also because I like to burn our finished episodes onto CD at the end, it wouldn't have fitted onto one CD. So with one mega long episode. <laughs> so I, I think it's better to split it in two and it means we can fit more chat in. And we are going to be joined by a guest co-host next week as well, of course. It's Matt Michael from Doctor Who his. magazine.
1: It is. Blasted Matt Michael. He's everywhere.
2: <laughs> and he'll love all these mentions because every time we're saying Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine, he pays me £10.
1: Uh, it makes sense now. That's why he's had so many mentions today. Who's Matt Michael so many from man- Doctor Who magazine. Yes, he has.
2: <laughs> yeah, good old Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine. So. <laughs> Until next week, I've been Kenny Smith and I've not been Matt Michael from Doctor
1: Who magazine. <laughs> goodness sake I've been Rebecca Chapman also not Matt Michael from Doctor Who Magazine um.
2: until next time everybody <laughs> we will see you there <laughs> <Bye-bye>. bye bye <laughs>
3: bye <laughs>